0: it's on page 160. Dongshan's three pounds of flax. One time when a monk asked Dongshan, what is Buddha? Dongshan responded, three pounds of flax. Sit for
1: five minutes. Like to read the next, the Koan and woman's
2: comment, please. I read it.
1: Do we? Oh, did you ask someone? I'm not here. Yeah, I I asked Kim. Sorry. That's okay.
3: Dongshan's three pounds of flax. One time, when a monk asked Dongshan what is Buddha, Dongshan re- responded, three <coughs> three pounds of flax." Woman's comment. Old man Dongshan had learned a bit of oyster chan. As soon as he opens his shell, he shows his liver and guts. Nevertheless, tell me where and how do you see (coughs) Dongshan? The abrupt utterance of three pounds of flax. These words are closer to the truth, but the intention is even closer. Those who talk about yes or no affirm or deny are just yes and no people. I'm going to read that again, that last line. Those who talk about yes or no, affirm or deny are just yes or no people. Yes and no people. Okay. You now
1: sit? you sit? For five and then
3: we'll write for five and I'll let you know when five occurs.
2: Can we talk about this for just a minute before going on? Is Can we that going
1: like I would. I think that'd be great. To talk about it before we get the experts' thoughts.
2: Because my neural tracks connected several things, and I just I want to say it now before too much time goes by. Um, so this question, "What is Buddha?" took me back to the Dharma talk on Sunday, when Laurie talked about her ninety-seven-year-old mother, mm. and in such an open-hearted, open-emotion way did this very present, very felt experience sharing as she used the words. You could see how they were resonating as she described, as you described them, Lori, those moments with your mom, the emotions, the physical manifestations of that. And it was was so lovely to hear a teacher um, say, you know, my gosh, here's my human experience and here's how Buddha nature comes in. And I just, I loved that. So, and this really is all connected, although it will not sound like it is. So at the same time that that came up, my mind went to, and the koan went to a related Supreme Court case sort of back in the day, I think it was a Supreme Court case when the Supreme Court was grappling with defining pornography and in interstate practice, Bec- and that was back when, you know, anyway, it doesn't matter. And they were grappling with languaging that issue because they wanted to enforce federal laws about interstate transfer of pornography. And you didn't want to write those laws so broadly that they were unenforceable or so narrowly that everyone a lot of people got away with it. And so I recall this because I just loved it. Um, one of the justices, and I'm paraphrasing said, I can't write down what it is or isn't, but I know it when I see it. Mm. Well, it's the same with me for Buddha nature. I can't write down what it is or isn't. I, 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 I The words get in the way. So it's three pounds of flax. Because the words get in the way, but I know it when I f- experience it, and so
3: thank I think, you. I think the um, the last thing you said about knowing it, it's something very specific. It's not anything. I I guess that's what you're saying. It's it's ex- it's this is a very exact answer with a number with pounds with a words. yeah it's that is it's that. Um, so any answer wouldn't have done. I mean, if you said, you know, a tree that fell down or something. It's too arbitrary. So uh, I I think that. Um,
2: Which goes back, was this in the Dharma talk or another experience where someone spoke up and said, I think we're letting words actually take us further away. Maybe yeah, yes. that,
1: that was the Dharma talk. I, I think. Well, I think it's interesting too um, that this thing that he's describing it or using another noun to say what it is, and it's something so commonplace, you know, <laughs> something fairly ordinary, and then and I just think that's a really interesting. I don't know what to make of that, but I mean, it's like ordinary mind is, is the way, and that's just kind of one direction I was going, because it doesn't seem like, you could try to make some sort of um, story about the meaning of three pounds of flax or something, and maybe there is some, I don't know, but, um, but it seems like it was something that, that I, don't, I One thought I had was something that would wake someone up. It's kind of an unexpected thing to say. And it still fits in with what you're saying now, but
3: I think. Um, something I noticed years ago in, be- in Beethoven was that the next note that he would do would be unexpected, but would be right.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, You know,
3: you, you get bored. If it's expected, and if it's just the expected thing. Yeah. Like one, two, three, four. That's kind of boring. But one, two, three. I don't know what would be a good. good, And a half. And a half. That's beautiful.
2: Oh, my gosh. And isn't it amazing now that you say that I just read an article about the ways to prevent Alzheimer's. This is all connected with Buddha mind. That even the brain knows That it's that something different and unexpected that keeps it open, alive, and awake. I I, I mean, it's just the synchronicity of all things. And
3: that's what we notice when we go into a room is what's out of place or what's not. Oh,
1: absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I can't tell you what, I couldn't tell you If you asked me to name the things in a room that I know well, I probably couldn't name them all. But if I walked in there and something was missing or put somewhere else, I could tell you immediately that something was wrong.
3: We used to play a game with my mother because she had very specific places for everything, like on the fireplace. And we'd just move, you know, turn a little statue a little bit or something. She'd come in and and fix it. Liked consistency
1: (laughs) okay so is anybody else want to chime in or should we go on
3: no but I I like this process where we talk a little after we write before we
1: I do too because it kind of lets us play with it a little bit before we go on to you know the expert word on stuff so um, uh, let's see Nelda do you want to do the the first paragraph there? The, Google's comment right yeah.
2: there? Okay. Google's comment. This case is actually very short. Some person asked this Chan master, Shan, what is Buddha? To which he said, three pounds of flax. I can assure you that there is more to the story than meets the eye.
4: So, this case, oh, is it me? Yes. Okay. So this case involves Dongshan Shaochu, whom we have already encountered in case 15 and one of his students. What is Buddha? Is a question that is actually quite relevant to Americans. In a sense, you are at an advantage since your mind is not cluttered with notions of what a Buddha is. Ha! Over thousands of years, Buddhists have developed very sophisticated philosophical understandings about not just who Sakyamuni was, but also the notion of Buddhahood and what that entails. Be thankful that your mind is not cluttered with these theories.
0: We'll go back to you, Donna. Okay. John arose as a reactionary movement against the of Buddhism, a movement towards personal experience, and away from theories and doctrines. Since Chan as a movement had already developed for about two or three hundred years, as a self-conscious movement, you can be sure that this monk in the 10th century context is asking about something else. Mm. In Chan, the question, what is Buddha, has a fundamental meaning what is it that constitutes Buddha, in other words, Is awakening? The question can thus be simplified to, what is awakening?
3: This question is something that touches the very heart of you. Where is your freedom? Why are you not free? Perhaps this is what drives you to practice for 10, 20, 30 years. So when the monk asked Dongshan it is perhaps out of a deep spiritual crisis. Gong answers three pounds of flax. Why this answer?
1: Lumen's comment and verse are worth considering. Old man Dong had learned a bit of oyster chant. Chan as soon as he opens his shell, he shows his liver and guts. Nevertheless, tell me. Where or how do you see
4: Dongshan?
2: Another way of saying this would be Dongshan, without hesitation or reservation, completely reveals to the student the liver and guts of Chan, of awakening. How do you see Dongshan? Do you see that he's not holding anything back,
4: that he is so compassionate in his teaching? People have all kinds of theories about three pounds of flax. For example, some people may think three pounds of flax. Ah yes, his mind was in the present moment. Perhaps he had happened to wear a thick robe that weighed approximately three pounds. And because Zen is everywhere, all things manifest true Zen. So he could have picked up anything and just said it or perhaps it was winter. And monks were wearing layers and layers of heavy robes. Or maybe when Shan heard the question, he had just received some new fabric from the market. If you go along those lines, you are very far from what's at stake here. This is not to say that these answers are wrong, but they are just conceptualizations and have little to do with the aim of this on.
0: Our discriminating mind is characterized by yes and no, affirmation and denial, such as, I like this, I don't like that, this is good, that's bad. And by thoughts like, I understand now, everything is Buddha nature. Enlightenment is everywhere. All these are products of the discriminating mind. So how do you see the liver and guts, the heart of Chan in this answer?
3: You would have to meditate on what is Buddha, three pounds of flax. Why? Why is Buddha three pounds of flax? This is the whole, how do you say that word?
4: Watu. Watu,
3: Watu. oh, okay. Or critical phrase of the gong Arouse an earnest desire to resolve this. Embrace the not knowing. This is the way to see the liver and guts of Don Juan.
1: The abrupt utterance of three pounds of flax. These words are close to the truth, but the intention is even closer. Those who talk about yes or no, affirm or deny, are yes are just yes and no is yes
2: words come from intention if you want to get to the heart of this case don't stick to the words get to the heart the way to see Dongshan is definitely not through yes or no affirm or deny you can extend this to good and bad having and lacking understanding and not understanding liking and disliking grasping and rejecting and birth and death if you go down this path then you're simply just a person of yes and no.
4: One evening, I was talking with my mother-in-law from Japan. She was very curious as to why so many people in the United States are interested in Chan practice. I may be generalizing, but I told her that there are two types of people who come to practice for an infinite number of reasons. Basically, in the first group are people yearning to find something, to resolve something, or perhaps to get rid of something. People in the second group are not looking for anything. They may have come because their friends dragged them there or they may have read some books on Buddhism or since they've heard there's a teacher in town out of curiosity, they've come to check out what this is all about, but they don't have a need. So teachers in the West have to work extra hard to create a need where there is none. They have to sell a product that no one is necessarily interested in buying. I told her that in Asia, anybody can open a temple and people will come. All you need to do is open the door. If there's a Buddha statue, people will offer incense there. You don't have to work too hard. Just open a temple, set up a Buddha, have a little donation box, and you'll be fine. Mm -hmm. But here in Tallahassee, You may get only a few dollars in the donation box, and since you have to pay the rent, you have to sell all kinds of products, invent all kinds of buddha dharma in order to make ends meet. Yet, in this process, buddha dharma comes alive.
0: In a culture like ours, one that favors the discourse of science, or in or in one that perhaps favors magic or extra phenomenal activities, whatever the country's natural tendency is, that side of it may be emphasized. In our times, people who have come to the practice lead very busy lives. There is suffering and anguish between the short moments of joy. People face challenges in life and most of their survival strategies are diversions or evasions with the thought that time will heal. Some people who may have had a very traumatic experience often divert their attention to something else. After a long time, as they forget about it, the experience will thin out. Time heals everything, so the saying
1: goes.
3: People may also busy themselves with various activities, so their question or problem is temporarily forgotten submerge under distractions. People even approach spiritual practice as one more thing to busy themselves with. They get involved with this practice, then initiation, that that initiation, that empowerment, or this or that method. The form of the practice can also make them forget not only their pain, but also events in the past. He's kind of describing addiction, isn't he? Don't you think?
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Thus, it is the task of the teacher to find ways to help people in the first group, those who come to practice, to specifically find ways to resolve their anguish or suffering. It is also the teacher's task to stir people of the second group by creating problems where there are no problems, to come up with scenarios such as, what is Buddha, or three pounds of flax, and tell them that they really have to meditate on that.
1: In practice, the most important part for you is to have a sense of earnestness. People often lose this quality in the course of their practice, in the course of their life. In earnestness, you will maintain your inner fire and give rise to a sense of wanting to know, of urgency, of existential dilemma. And Buddhism teaches you, it teaches that you do not have to suffer, to feel anguish, to choose jealousy and arrogance. You do not have to feel angry when challenged. So why is it that you do? What is it that drives you? Although your Buddha nature, your full potential is is freedom. You choose to live in the shackles of grief and disease. You get upset or you are happy when one of your enemies gets in trouble and so on. The flame of earnestness will burn these obscurations away. If
2: you think that vexations, anger, jealousy, arrogance, craving, are normal, then you belong to the second group of people. You have have become so accustomed to vexations, to anguish and suffering, that you think that it is your nature, that is who you are. No. You are so much more than that. These are the conditions that bind you, form and shape you into a certain type of person. There's freedom waiting to be discovered beyond the confines of passing emotions and ideas. So what is Buddha?
4: Although you may have understood this, that you are free. You may still think I am free and yet I am confronted with all kinds of scattered or wandering thoughts with obstructions everywhere I turn. For instance, when you sit, you may feel obstructed by drowsiness. When you stand, you're bothered by physical pain. Or when you interact with others, you're annoyed by certain personality types that you may may not like. You're actually in a good place if you come to this realization, as you recognize that you can do something about it. It is worth reflecting on over and over again observing yourself in daily life in your interactions with others.
0: It is from that place that you examine what is Buddha. In other words, what is it it that is free within me? Especially in moments of conflict, ask, am I free? If you are bound by your behavioral habits and vexations, then you should be ashamed. You could approach the issue by saying to yourself, This is not me. I got tricked again by by my habit uh, tendency, my patterns of behavior. Stop. What is it that is free in that moment? If you can do this, you will not fail, you will not fall into the trap of yet another conceptualization, the practice that I call spiritual substitution. Aren't you substituting your freedom in each moment for bondage?
3: What is Buddha? Must be examined amid suffering, when two people who once loved each other are now separating, when two people who, though they hate each other, always tend to meet, (coughs) when you dislike yourself, or when thoughts are in conflict, even in your own mind. This case is one of those in-your-face confrontational ones. If you don't know what Buddha is, If you don't have the ability to tap into the source that already gives you freedom in each moment, then three pounds of flax is as good an answer as any.
1: We can guess how much a typical bronze Buddha statue weighs at a Dharma center. Perhaps 20 or 30 pounds? 30 pounds of bronze would be a good answer. Some people want Become the kind of Buddha that sits motionlessly, unmoved by anything, like a statue. So they strive to sit in perfect posture, meditating for a long time in peace. Yet as soon as they get off the cushion, they exchange their peace for vexations. Others come to practice with great fervor. However, after five, ten, fifteen, or twenty years, they have forgotten about the fire or the flame of earnestness inside them. They're quite settled into the routine of practice and have no more questions. They've become easygoing or carefree, seemingly unattached. If the wind blows from the left, they float to the right. If the wind blows from the right, they float to the left. In Chan, we call this kind of peaceful practice a rock soaking in cold water. Meaning is that for a hundred or even a thousand years, a rock will remain a rock lifeless nothing will have changed another ex- expression is hiding in the dark ghost cave on the black side of the mountain it's always dark on that side of the mountain because that's where the sun doesn't shine these people are inside the pitch black cave where nothing happens they mistake that for non-attachment or liberation what a pity
2: When you face challenges in your daily life, or when you discover vexations, have the courage and earnestness to bring up, what is Buddha?
0: Where
3: where, is?
2: Oh, sorry. Where is Buddha? That's where you see Dongshan's liver and guts. Hmm.
1: Okay, so the next question is, how does Guo Gu's commentary change or affirm your initial impression? What in your life is illuminated by this koan? And we'll sit for five minutes, five minutes. Well, let's forget it. There's a duplication on that, but anyway.
3: No, no, that, yeah, that, that is, um, it didn't seem like it was pasting, so I pasted it twice.
1: Oh, okay, all right. All right. A
3: clerical error.
1: Okay, all Three right. Three pounds
3: of flax. <laughs> so
1: we'll discuss, so how does Google, Google's commentary change or affirm your initial impression and what in your life is illuminated by this koan?
3: One of my favorite Dharma talks from many, many years ago was on this koan, and the person who gave the talk—which I actually have the talk—I should send it to you guys. But she—that would be great. She talks very. This is Anita Donna. You know Anita. Oh yeah. Yeah, she gave a beautiful talk on it. I think I have it on my computer, and she gave a very specific. She also is a sewer. And she gave a very specific uh, interpretation of what the three pounds of flax was about, which she doesn't go there. So that's one way of, that is nothing at all arbitrary. Um, was anyway.
0: The, was Anita talking about sort of the potential of three pounds of flax?
3: What do you mean by potential?
0: Well, you know, three three pounds of flax can be made into all kinds of things. You know?
3: Yeah. I don't remember specifically because I am it was ten years ago, I think. I don't th- I think I think I've only heard it once since then. Listen to it. But I have it. So I'll send it to you guys. Do well, enjoy it. It's you a can. beautiful, beautiful talk, I think. Or it was ten years ago. You know these <laughs> things change. <take. laughs> um Okay, but let's go back to Lori's question and Peg's question. Out how does the commentary change your
1: initial uh, change or affirm your initial impression what in your life is illuminated by this poem?
3: Well, well L- Lori and I were talking earlier today and she was very critical of my kind of discursive mind and wanting to find <laughs> actual answers to things.
1: It wasn't critical. Was it critical?
3: Oh I felt I felt that Laura was critical. Anyway, and I was uh whatever it was, so I was um uh, and so this was the perfect con for the day. And and also how every con seems to be um Well, like I said before, the right answer, but the surprising answer, and also in terms of the relative and absolute, it's the absolute, he's going, um, you know, we have thousands of books that say, what is Buddha and go on and on and on and just take you farther from it. And this is something very real, very actual, the three pounds of flax, something you would hold in your hand. It's not something esoteric, but then um it's really a teaching such a teaching to the monk um and if he had answered in any more discursive way it wouldn't have been a teaching he would have just mixed the monk up up in a way
1: well and i think that well i think that's the the best kind of teaching is not providing an answer but allowing you to, to sift through it and come up with your own your own answer, that that pertains to you, that makes sense to you.
3: Um, like with the the one, does a dog have Buddha nature? The problem, in a sense, is a question.
2: But how so, nice to get your mind working, because you've either become a yes/no person or you sit with yes and no, or you sit with- And that's
3: even a more of a yes-no question, Sorry. isn't it? Does a dog have Buddha nature? Mm-hmm.
2: So, I call Gu- Guogu Gigi in my head. So, I love Gigi's commentary, and I love that he um, spoke about his teacher in the film. Yes. Oh, I just love seeing a real-life person who's giving me this This well, not not guidance, but just more to for my beginner mind. I love having a beginner mind, y'all. It's amazing. I didn't like it for so long because I was so confused, and I'm still so confused, but it's all good now. But it's just (laughs) it's true. I just I tried so hard to sit like everyone else, and I forced things, and I thought there was, you know, this linear path and And it's so nice to not have settled into any particular course because it's all so new and fresh and a constant reminder and the way Gigi writes makes it very simple to hold easy to hold very experiential very now and real so. It helps.
1: Well, I'd I'd like to address the question, what in your life is illuminated by this koan? And um, I I think at this point in time, I need to spend a lot of time uh, asking what is Buddha? (laughs) Um, Yeah.
3: I liked how he talked about because it's kind of what we were talking about earlier, Lori, and, and we all of us meet every day. Is is we sit and we're peaceful, and then we get off the cushion and we have these vexations.
1: Yeah.
3: You know, and and uh, you know, sometimes Linda will say to me, "Well, you sat this morning, so why are you so bothered by that?" That kind of thing.
4: You know. Mm-hmm. I really liked his, uh, the paragraph on the top of 165, where he talks about that, where he says, you know, you should approach the issue by saying, saying to yourself, this is not me. I got tricked again by my habit tendency, my patterns of behavior stop. What is it that is free in that moment? And I, I liked it because I, I never wait till I get off the cushion, um, Kim. My vexations start on the Well, point. I'm sure, my, my,
3: yeah, mine do too.
4: <laughs> and I find myself actually saying almost this sentence. That's why it was so wonderful to read it because I thought, oh, how wonderful. I'm not the only one. If he's writing this, this must be a fairly commonplace thing to be sitting there and then to have to start this you know, monkey mind going, but to catch it and be able to go, wait.
3: And he says that he he talks about that as an accomplishment in the same way a Peg and Flint do.
4: Yeah. That's the
3: first step toward freedom.
4: Well, this, this paragraph and reading that sentence, that's what was illuminating for me, that it's okay to sit on my cushion, to have those vexations, and to be able to recognize it and it doesn't happen all the time but but when it does to be able to recognize it in the moment and go why am i doing that and I actually say the word stop stop and it makes a difference
1: you know uh, that there was a something that i talked about a couple of weeks ago about suzuki roshi and his this was the the white screen In that he was talking about um I think it was. He was saying suffering is not. It's it's not um, crying or being angry. If you're if you're noticing it, if you can say, "Oh, I feel angry," or or anger, or "Oh, I feel like I'm going to cry." As long as you're catching, it's the same idea. If you're catching it, you're you're aware of the fact of what you're doing. That was the path. That's so just. The same thing. How encouraging is that?
4: Very, yeah. <laughs> very encouraging. Extremely encouraging. It's yeah. painful.
1: It's painful, but it's it's encouraging.
4: <laughs> it's like that, you know, that old saying, stuck between a rock and a hard place. That's what it feels like sometimes, because you've been my speaking from my from my perspective, been suffering for so long with whatever something. And then I become aware of it. I can't change it yet. I haven't changed it yet, but I'm aware of it. Oh, it's, it's that hard, hard place between I see it and that's, you know, nothing is happening yet, but I see it. It's like, oh.
1: Yeah, I I agree. And I think the further, further along you go, the more you become aware of, and it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's like uh, I can't. You can't go back, but you know you haven't gotten forward yet. Yeah. <laughs> I mean you have by being aware. But, yeah. yeah,
2: like that. So, what was illuminating for me, and I don't remember exactly how it was said. It was such a reminder. I I love reading the same teaching in many different places because. My brain doesn't hold on to things as, as, as much as I would prefer in the ways that I prefer. And it was something about how people approach spiritual practice as just one more construct. Right. Mm-hmm. And so my biggest spiritual practice construct is I want to be a bodhisattva. <laughs> that's that's my goal. I mean that so it's like there's my focus, and come on inside get all this stuff fixed so i can get there right instead of just and so i create a vexation over my vexations because i can't reach my goal and so this reminded me that i shouldn't create more constructs via spiritual practice constructs you know i've got enough of those to work
1: on right why
3: do you think you're not there
1: oh I don't. Uh,
2: well, the the visceral answer is, it never feels like enough. Like I've ever given enough.
4: But isn't that a construct?
2: I guess
4: it is. Or, or a habit, habitual conditioning.
2: Yeah, I right. guess I, I guess it is. But I just, I don't. And and you just reminded me of something that someone said recently and it 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 really made me sit with the difference. I see I I I measure obvious actually now that I think about it, generosity in others differently than I measured in myself. Yes. And my if my neighborhood boy brought me a little, you know back of doggy poop, I would just cry and think how sweet, his heart was in the right place. But, you know, I could big, build a worldwide shelters for doggies and kitties and it wouldn't feel like enough and it wouldn't feel generous. It would just feel like not enough. So I have, I'm working with those. Well, you know, I'm working with the fact that I measure period. Thank you for the question. I'll
0: meditate on that in the morning. <laughs> well, I I came tonight um with um one of my the oldest neighbor, I guess, in our in our vicinity died in her sleep this morning mm. and found out uh, a couple hours ago. And so um she was someone who lived a very full life, a life that you know, she was a, a teacher. Um, her name was Sarah Lively and they, she taught at Fulmore for many, many, many years. She taught American history, but did much more than that. Um, and she touched so many lives there that they uh, renamed the school after her a couple of years ago. So it's now, um, sarah beth lively middle school which i think lively middle school is just perfect (laughs) but um so when we were reading what really struck me um was um oops wrong place um woman asked um nevertheless tell me where or how do you see Dongshan? And so um, I would, you know, thinking, okay, here, you know, with with Sarah Lively, um, we've got generations of school kids that she inspired, that she uh, went far beyond the extra mile to make sure that somebody got what they needed. Um, you know, just help turn a lot of kids around and inspire a lot of kids too. Um, You know, so here's Dongshan. I can't remember his exact uh, years, but I think we can easily say that he's been dead for over a thousand years. And when we see Dongshan, um, I get what we're seeing, I guess, are his words, uh, his actions as they've been recorded in the lamp, you know, the teaching testimonies in koans. Um, but still, you know, the force of the causes and conditions behind his own life that gave birth to his words, his deeds. It That's still playing out, you know, well over a thousand years later. I mean, here we are, you know, thinking about Dongshan, one of Dongshan's answers to, you know, Oh, uh, where is Buddha? So um, <clears throat> that, that's really where, you know, I know that that doesn't really tie in particularly with what the koan is about, but it, it is kind of one facet um, just because, you know, here's this, this person who lived so long ago and still is having an impact on our lives and a lot of other people as well.
4: You know, Donna, um, this morning, I just finished reading a um, a short story out of a book by uh, Naomi Rachel Rimmen, and in it, she's talking about people who do things like that. And she says, often, we do not get to see the outcome of our actions. Trajectories of service to a single life may be decades long and come to fruition, long after those who are initiate who initiated them are dead the dead act with great power in this world still
0: mm. i was really that.
4: struck by that
0: yes she's a very wise woman
4: well i was really struck by how i mean that is true for dong shan too mm-hmm. you know uh-huh. for how we are still being impacted by these teachings mm-hmm. and it made me think about what what do i do you know, in my daily life that may or may not affect someone. Right.
0: And it, it, you you can kind of extend that to Buddha, you know. I mean, we, you know, there seems to be uh, a pretty good chance that there really was a, a Shakyamuni, a, a Gautama Buddha. Um, and he had... You know an awakening he had insights he was able to convey them to um his followers and you know even more you know than than even dong you know add fifteen hundred years to it mm-hmm. um and and in some ways you think think about how how many ways the ideas that he he gave us have been developed. You know, you think about the Tibetan Buddhism. You think about the Theravada. Think about um, you know all these other sort of Asian schools. You know, with the the, the Zen, the um, Shingon, Tiantai. All of these schools have Buddha at the heart of them. Um, I am uh, signed up or kind of taking part in this. Uh, there's an intensive, pra- tens- an intensive coming up uh, at Green Gulch Farm uh, out in California that Rev. Anderson is leading about uh, the Lotus Sutra. But we've been studying the Lotus Sutra now for probably, I don't know, maybe as much as two months. Mostly it's just he will give a talk, you know, the blessed Zoom, oh my gosh. <laughs> and, um, and then he will just answer questions for an hour and a half, two hours sometimes and some of those questions are kind of you know they're they're good questions and then sometimes people just hit it out of the park you know they are brilliant questions and for me uh, one of the questions you know you you read the lotus sutra and it's just like you you know we read it in depth and practice a couple years ago and it was just like what is this You know, I mean, it's, um, you know, it's a, a, it's, you know, kind of defies description or even embracing. And yet it has been so important to so many, you know, Buddhist practitioners for such a long time. And so it was like, you know, okay, well, Reb wants us to do this. So, you know, I'm in. And, The thing he had kept telling us was that um, the the Lotus Sutra was one is a sutra that's made for difficult times. Um, You know, we're at hard times now. This is the sutra for us. And so, you know, the you know the mind, the yes and no mind as well. You know, is is it some spiritual power in the Lotus Sutra that you know, is is engaged with all of this, and we are, um, you know, we're, we're some little, little force for the good, you know, radiating out, um, that was about the best I could come up with, but someone this past Saturday, uh, no, Sunday, yes, only yesterday, um, <laughs> they, you know, he had another, it was just basically two plus hours of of his answering questions. And several people were really upset by what they were reading in the Lotus Sutra. I mean, it is um, there, you know, it is, in some places it's not politically correct by any stretch of the imagination. And Reb used that, he said that, you know, that you, you can't turn away from, you know, being upset you have to, this is an opportunity to go into it deeper, to see, you know, you just can't say, you know, I disagree or, you know, this is wrong, that you really, you've got to get beyond that level, that yes, no level that, that he's talking about here and really get into it much deeper and that it's the, it's those things that we really dislike in the Lotus Sutra, because most of the time sutras are pretty friendly, mm. you know, they don't they don't offend us. But he says that that's why this is a sutra for these hard times. You know, it's the sutra for us to somehow be able to get through to um, Trump Trump people. You know, the it's. That's what makes it the sutra for hard times, that it's good. It's practice for us, you know, as we meet up these things that we really find difficult. And it's the, you know, on another level, it's just like vexations, you know, whether they're sitting there when we're on the, on the cushion, or, you know, we meet them face to face as we go about our everyday life. So, um, that, that was just such an insight for me that that was was really or it appears to be kind of the heart of why we're looking at the Lotus Sutra now mm. and and really it is just a sort of another form of facing facing life as it comes at you and it's and it's a, a form of practice of doing that because more and more it seems like like Reb's teaching is, is all about. You You are right here, right now. Face what, what's before you. That's that's where you need to be. And find your Buddha nature. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly.
3: Yes. I think the, the Torah also is a similar experience. And I'm thinking specifically about one case where a guy is chopping wood on the Sabbath. And so Moses asked God, what should we do with him? And God says, kill him. Yeah, you know, so then you have to deal with this. Right,
0: right. Uh-huh. It, it's like that. Some that people thing. want to
3: walk out of the room or tear the book up or, you
0: know. Right. But, but you know, there's the, Reb said something to the effect that um, this is, it's not that, you know, the Lotus Sutra is, you know, everything in it is. Is true and right, and you know, uh, the way that we generally tend to venerate religious texts you know, is a challenge. Like like that Torah story, that it it encompasses the whole of life, and it's yet another. It's a way for us to face up to life. But he said it much better than that, and with more depth. But that's the. <laughs> That's the short version. I can't imagine. <laughs> that was lovely. That was lovely. Thank you. Oh, yeah.
1: What are important teachings right now, particularly. It's true.
0: So, looking at the Lotus Sutra, I realized that was the other thing that came out of this, looking at this koan about you know, where is the Buddha? And, you know, I, I admit that I don't, you know, I don't think about the Buddha that much. Um, but uh, between Reb's, Reb's teaching and reading this Lotus Sutra, um, as well as, you know, especially a lot of the, those early teachings that we've looked at in depth and practice for the last year or two, you know, the, um, oh, gosh, um, compassion and emptiness. emptiness. Yeah, that, that yeah. one. And then even before that, the patana and all that. So that's sort of the, the mental image, I guess, I have of Buddha as a teacher. But now looking at this Lotus Sutra with all this, you know, innumerable bodhi, uh, Buddhas and Bodhisattvas and... Um, you know, sort of this, this Buddha as an infinite presence throughout, you know, countless universes and kalpas and everything else. It really, I realized that you know my idea of what or where Buddha is has has changed because of all of this, and I realized, hmm, you know, it 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 is something different um, than it was. And is I think.
1: Mama... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm just wondering if that was a Mahayana text.
0: Oh, Lotus Sutra. Yes. hmm Definitely oh, Mahayana.
1: That explains the.
0: the oh yeah.
1: So, so typical. Being
0: right. nature. Right.
1: Well, yeah, it's huge. Everything is bigger and grander and. Multiple numbers. You know. <laughs> <just available> <laughs>
3: So. Well, similar to Vimalakirti. Exactly. That's what I was thinking.
2: Now, what is that? I don't, I don't, I'm not familiar. What is that, Kim? What did you say?
3: Vimalakirti is, a, it's a, uh, uh, right here, right here, right there, <laughs> right next to the Lotus Sutra with the Torah in between.
2: <laughs> oh, I see it now.
3: Lori <laughs> will tell you what's Vimalakirti. Lori did a course in Vimalakirti. Uh,
1: it's a classic Mahayana text. And it's got every teaching known to man in there known He teaching.
3: was a, a lay teacher. That was the And the, so we, we're especially like him for that. But he he out un, out understood all the others.
1: Yeah, he well he was helping helping them to the truth. He was it's it's a real interesting text because they it kind of tears apart the Tara Varden a bit says that the, the Mahayana, which is the great vehicle, right, is far superior. But anyway.
3: It talks a lot about bodhisattvas and also there's different levels of bodhisattvas. Like it talks about the supreme bodhisattva and there's there's well,
1: in the beginning, it gives all the all the different names for the different bodhisattvas that were present. And it's like everything imaginable is included. I mean, like bodhisattva of a toenail or something. I mean, it's like, you know, every, I mean, it has like, I don't know, a hundred of the names. I'd
2: be just delighted to be let in the door. <laughs> Put me wherever you want me, toenail, it doesn't matter. Just let me be a little bodhisattva. I'd be delighted.